It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Welcome to the future. It's Great Mondays Radio. I am so excited to have a future forward conversation today with people ops extraordinaire, Kim Minnick. She has been around the world and back when it comes to startup and people ops, uh, working for uh, companies like studio.com, Nava, and Patreon, or Patreon, as you, uh, as you might want to say. Um, and we're going to have a conversation about what is happening tomorrow and the day after. Kim, welcome to Great Mondays Radio. Thank you for coming on. Oh my gosh, Josh, thank you so much for having me. I am so pumped to be here and so excited just to talk about all things culture and work. Startup people ops is hard. Working at a startup is hard. And yet here you are having done that many, many times over. What is wrong with you? Why do you keep doing that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I really, I grew up a theme park girl and I love roller coasters. So if I can just emotionally internalize that, it's great. Uh, oh, wow. That no, was not, I was not expecting that. That's excellent. I think that, um, you know, startups, uh, particularly and people ops, give you so much opportunity to try new things, take on new programs, say yes fail spectacularly, learn, try again and do it right. Yeah. Um, and what I, the reason why I wanted you on the on Great Mondays Radio is because you because of this unique intersection of being at startups, there's very little legacy to contend with. And you have all the kind of good and bad of creating these and seeing what is needed in the future uh, and and what what can be created, right? Reinvented and sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. And I we're at this moment where I I feel like the reality of actually getting back to work and 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 sort of the rubber meets the road in, oh, we've we it's it's sunk in. Now we're doing things differently, right? So we took a couple, it took 18 months, maybe two years for leaders to start to go, oh, okay, yeah, this is going to be different. And now we're at this moment where it is different and it's like, oh, and I have to do something about it. I have to actually react to it. I actually have to do, like, start to implement some of these things. And and that's why I, I think our conversation today is going to be so interesting because we are going to talk about all the things that we're starting to see come to fruition when it comes to actually um, operationalizing the future. That's right. In That's some right. in some capacity. So let's let's start with some of the um, some of the the trends or the themes that you're you're starting to see emerge where people need to take start taking seriously or thinking about what should we. What should we be thinking about as we go into the future, as we think about people ops, HR, culture? Oh, man. Well, I think there's two huge conversations that are happening right now. 
One, no shock AI. I really do think HR tends to get left behind with new yes. technologies. <laughs> uh, my dear people, ops people, let's start checking out AI as a tool to help us, particularly for things like compliance or your reporting or your insights. That's a huge one. Um, but I think I think this RTO crowd is maybe quieting down a little bit. And we really are thinking about what the future of distributed work looks like and how to do that in a way where we can maximize productivity and still build an amazing culture where employees who are our humans can thrive. Mm -hmm. Is there a role for, or it, what role does return to office play in the future if if at all yeah you know i think i think there's going to be a shakeout over the last few years diff over the next few years pardon me different people work best in different ways i call myself a recovering office absolutist i never thought i could thrive <laughs> remotely yeah but i spent you know three years now learning how to work asynchronously learning how to document and operate transparently and whether your right is in an office or in a hybrid or in a distributed environment, those principles help enable all work types. Mm. So we can keep arguing about return to office, but unless everybody is there every day for the same amount of time, you're going to have to incorporate distributed operating principles into your day-to-day, -day, regardless of your strategy. Right, exactly. Even those who have squeaked back to a three-day or even four-day, God forbid, your there is inherently more dynamism in how people are engaging with the office. And we have suffered through <laughs> one too many. I came into the office and sat in an empty conference room on Zoom. Oh, man. And then you've got somebody who had to commute, buy their lunch, commute home. I'm sure yep. they're thrilled. What the hell am I doing here? So, so that, okay. So just, so this is just distributed operating principles. And you said something, you, you, you said documentation. And when I hear that, I think, uh, but I also think, huh? Um, Let's talk a little bit about the role of documentation, and I'm hoping that it's got it, it's evolved from what it, what documentation used to mean. I don't know. Maybe we need an when we need a descriptor, right? Sort of like future or like distributed. I don't know what it is. Let's talk about documentation. What is it? Why is it important? What is why is this seemingly banal um, task? or um, function something that is going to be critical in the future? Yeah. Oh, great topic. So first off, I don't think it's a shock that an HR person is like, let's talk about documentation. <laughs> That's a fair point. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to your point, it is changing and it is evolving. And maybe to make it more palatable, we really talk about knowledge management because that's that's what it is, right? It's not a memo. It's not like an email. It's really mm. developing. And I, I steal this from GitLab. 
developing a single source of truth where employees can go and retrieve the knowledge that they need at any time. So yes, it takes time to sit down and like comb through that documentation and keep it up to date and make sure it's true and useful. But if we do that instead of commuting or instead of spending hours mm. on meetings that could have been an email, what if we use our writing muscles a little bit more and allow for that information to live freely within our organization? Um, and I think that forget about return to office or remote. If somebody goes on vacation, when they come back, instead of having to find everyone and catch up, they can just read the documents. You know, they yeah. can stay up to date and retrieve yeah. that knowledge. So that's where I see documentation going. Really like a helpful guide to your day-to-day -day life at work. Yeah. It's how to me, I've thought about this a little bit, probably less than you, but I thought about it a little bit. And to me, it is the only way that we're going to become more efficient more capable um, and, and able to do more work, use our own, achieve our own sort of um, ideal states, right? Work at our best way, as opposed to spending more time in meetings. There are moments when we need to have meetings. And I, so I, I know that, but what I have observed is too many organizations fell back on in the last 10 years, I think we can at this moment say, fell back on meetings instead of effectively documenting knowledge. Does that, yeah. did you see that too? Cause I don't, you know, I, I tend to make these huge leaps. So. No, I think that's right. Uh, meetings are easier. You kind of just show up and writing documents is hard. Like I forget who we can attribute this to, maybe Mark Twain, but if I had more time, I would have made this shorter. Right. Like documentation and investing in a single source of truth or a handbook or a guide, it takes time and it takes practice. So I don't think it's ever going to be this like light switch. Yeah. But I do think teams that are interested in it, replace one meeting, take one team meeting and do an async update and thread responses in Slack or in a document, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Like we can get there. We can do it. Um, when, I mean, how, so, so I don't think we are at, I don't think we have a lot of tools. We have a lot of new mm -hmm. tools. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we have all the tools that we need yet, nor do I think tools are going to solve all our problems, but where is documentation like how what will the future of documentation look like what is the best way if we if we think asynchronous distributed we're all trying to do this work and we have you know let's add on top international you know employees right and all it makes it harder and harder to meet so what is documentation going to look like? Like, what could it look like? I'm not asking you for the answer. I'm asking you for like, what are the what are you starting to see and maybe start to guess or lean into what we might or the modes in which we might be able to more effectively or efficiently document? Yeah. So I think probably the first thing, open access. Uh, I know it feels scary to not have like private documents in your team, 
but truly like product management won't know what engineering is doing on a day-to-day -day unless they have a resource to go look at. So I think open access will be a huge leap forward for documentation. I love it. As well as like with that version management and version control. So Whereas I don't love a effective as or revised when because that insinuates there's another document somewhere. <laughs> um, I do love a version control. So you can go back and see how have things changed? Um, you know, who contributed what and where are we now? Mm. Uh, so I think, you know, one single source of truth, open access and allowing everyone to contribute and encouraging that contribution. So managers mm -hmm. need to get in on that. Your leadership team needs to model that behavior, write your updates in that single source of truth and share them out. Yeah. It's interesting because there is a short-term um, commitment, right? I have to spend more of my time now, mm -hmm. but we have to train people to understand that that is going to benefit everybody else in the long term and save time. Yes. And that circles back to working with international populations or even I'm obsessed with this idea of chronotypes. Um, shout out to Allie Green and the remote workbook. Okay. This. Chronotypes. Let's yeah. Let's hear it. So it's like a, a fancier way to say, hey, are you a morning person? Are you right. an evening person? Right, right. When does your brain want to be creative? When does it want to be administrative? Productive. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. And like the creation of something is different than like, I don't know, paying bills, doing your admin work, cleaning up tasks, tickets. Uh, so if you allow your team to work within their chronotype preference, yeah. Um, you'll see more productivity. And if you're a manager and you have different preferences or time strategies, you'll need to rely more on that async opportunity to work. So I'm going to add my um, best guess and say I'm going to pull in where we started, which was AI, and I'm going to pull in some um, of that meetingness and say I think there's a big opportunity to um, record live or record a conversation. It has automatically is going to transcribe. And then I think AI is going to be able to tell you where those things are and who updated it and all that stuff. So, so the manual labor of going in and updating a document, I think we're going to be able to build a tool that's going to be, that's going to like essentially sort it and put it in the right place. So I think about it like, um, on my iPhone, the photos app is getting better and better and better. And it's right. And so it's like, now I can go, who's this person? Where was I? I can sort through all these different things. And it's giving, it's almost like a TikTokian for you moment, right? You're like, what am I doing? How is it going to know this? And what am I going to, it sounds like we need to start a, a startup. I think Kim, you and I. Yeah. You want this to? Is a, I like this. I like this. This idea. is our million dollar idea. Um, I love it. For any, any a million dollars is not going to get us very far. I, I, I'm hoping for a little more <laughs> than enough. that. <laughs> we might need a technical co-founder. I got to be honest. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. We got vision all day long, right? Okay. Perfect. That's right. Um, okay. So <clears throat> one of the things that I've been, um, that has helped me understand the limitations of um, organizations and culture has been um, 
around the construct of Dunbar's number. And you brought that up as well when we were having a little a pre-call here. Can you talk to us, tell us, for those who don't know what Dunbar's number is, and talk about your um, your strong hunch as to what how it's changing? Ooh, okay. So for those who aren't familiar, and I might stumble over this, but... The Dunbar number is this idea that once your organization reaches 150 people, you no longer have direct connections or direct relationships with every single person. There will be people that you don't know. Um, HR folks, maybe at 150, we still know everyone, but good luck. Uh, but now that was easy. Well, that was appropriate. When we were in office, when we were all gathering in the same locations on a generally regular basis, yep. that 150 felt a little bit smaller. But now 150 names in a Slack workspace, there are some that you're probably never seeing. So where I think this is changing, I think that the remote Dunbar, the distributed Dunbar number like is, uh, you know, we're probably getting 60 Maybe on the high end, 80, maybe on the low end, 50. But now you're having to be re and ask any remote people ops leader. You're having to be really thoughtful about your intentional gathering. When are we all in the same space? What are we talking about? And what's the purpose? Is the purpose mm. strategy and business? Is it informal communication and connection or is it something else? Yep. Yeah. And um, my argument is actually maybe it never was 150. Um, 150 is the number of um, individuals in a um, group of chimps, right? So when Dunbar went and did this research, he found that the 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 maximum number was around 150 because the ROI of energy um, put into having a relationship with each individual doesn't pay back for the benefit of the group. And that's the natural limit. And so my observation, because the big question I got um, early on was how come culture is so hard to scale? And the reason is it starts to it starts to become problematic when you don't have direct relationships, which is exactly what you said. But the truth is that 150 works when it's um it's it's life or death. Yeah. It's not 150. The benefit, the amount of energy you're gonna we're willing to give is not is not going to give you this the benefit um even even sooner. And so my observation has been that culture starts to um need to be more explicitly codified around 50 to 150. Even when we were back in the, even when we were in the office, and now what's interesting is, this past year, most recently, um, I my most popular talk, and this is just to kind of indicate not how amazing I am, although I am, and my most popular talk was how to rebuild those relationships inside of distributed teams, because guess what? We're all apart from each other. We don't have those relationships. And so now this degradation is starting to, to really creep in. All right. So anyways, yes. people tuned in to hear you. So I'm going to let you talk now. No, but I'm into that because, you know, I think something that I struggled with early in my career and maybe other folks are too, 
your culture will scale and it will look so different because of all of those changes, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. the culture that makes a 30 person organization thrive or grow or succeed is not, oh, it's going to make a 500 person organization scale. I've been in teams where we're like, let's burn the candle at four ends. It's (laughs) two. Uh, but you know, we're 25 people and we're just trying to make it work. Whereas yeah, some larger organizations that I've been in, there's a lot more room for, you know, out, life outside of work and, and that culture will intentionally change. And it should, if your culture is remaining stagnant, it means your business is remaining stagnant, which means, yep, Yeah. <laughs> Um, I had a conversation recently um, where the um, the um, HR leader was contending with people who the employees were like, it's not like it used to be. And that's actually a good thing. That means your company is growing and that means you're thriving. And so we as humans, we don't like change inherently. And so you have to prep your teams and be like, hey, I know it used to be better when we were all neighbors, but guess what? Now we're changing and this is this is part of business. And part of that change that gets really uncomfortable is some of your like long-term employees or long-term team members who are great in that 30-person environment aren't so great at 120. Yeah. And that's really a difficult change because you're you you're losing these like long-term culture carriers so they can go off and explore their next great and exciting thing but it's a bittersweet change that can happen Mm -hmm. yeah um so challenges that so so you're currently um out there uh a gun for hire you're a fractional hr Mm -hmm. and people ops person um have you um are there anything um any other um, challenges or opportunities that you've seen your the clients that you're working with come up against that maybe they weren't expecting? Ooh, yeah. So some things that spring to mind. Uh, a lot of clients are expecting offsites to just happen and be great and be easy and be this cultural phenomenon when really like. If you're thinking about 2024 offsites, I hope you started planning them a couple months ago. Uh, because again, that's a large expense that you are coming together and mm. um, meeting intentionally. The other thing, I am really encouraged by this next like generation of startups that are coming up that are being really thoughtful about performance management about transparency and things like compensation, decision-making, benefits. Um, And I think, you know, part of that is this, the new working generation that's coming up that's demanding this. And part of it is just like burnt out workers who are tired of working in a black box um, and want to really build companies where folks know, here's my opportunities, here's how and where I can grow, and here's what it means for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, so to what to what extent is it a company's responsibility mm. to provide that for employees, whether that's a um 
li literally like level one, level two, level three, or here's your education path, or, you know, it's like things. I, I, mm, yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop there. Yeah. So you have more room to kind of like. Yeah, I get it. I, th I think that. I get it. <laughs> so I see it as companies are responsible for providing a car and the employee is responsible for driving it. Um, that may mean we've got a driver's ed teacher in the front seat, a mentor, a manager, a coach. But our responsibility for from the organization standpoint, that car's got to work. <laughs> we can't be, you know, giving people just the frame of a career framework and being like, all right, figure it out. Go drive this. Mm -hmm. We are really responsible for saying, here's the expectations. Here's what a director level impact means. Here's what you know, our sales team should be doing, whatever that might be. But we have to be really clear on what our expectations are and how we're going to evaluate them. And I would even press to say how we're going to reward, recognize, or punish them. There mm. are behaviors that aren't welcome. Um, you know, early in my career, we talked a lot about brilliant assholes. Yeah. Who, like, we're still talking uh, about it. <laughs> we're still talking about them. You're great, but man, you're tough. Like, I, I'm not sure that we're going to tolerate that much longer in a broad sense. Um, but again, like setting those expectations and being clear about how you recognize and reward them, that's our responsibility. Employees got to drive the car as far as they want to drive it. Not everyone's looking for growth. Not everyone's looking to up-level their career. Mm. Some people really want to go deep into the competencies that they know and love. Mm. Awesome. How can we help you? Yeah. So it's interesting. It's almost like Mm, I don't mean to denigrate, but it's almost like that's a perk that you can offer and choose from in a way. It's like we can, we have this, we have these, look at all these things on the shelves. Yeah. You can choose, we can help you. You can use that to go to a conference or go deeper or level up or whatever. Um, performance and performance and professional development should absolutely be a perk. If you're like fully laying it out, sure, great, awesome. But also just like in how you're structuring your people ops programs, whether it be uh, professional growth and development or performance management or whatever the case may be, we need to structure those in a way that employees can say, oh, if I want to go straight up, I can go up. If I want to go horizontal or diagonal, I have the opportunity to explore this skill set here and develop these skills while still having impact in my role. At what size or stage of a company is it appropriate to start to add in these opportunities and resources of development? Mm, I mean... I, yes, yesterday, two days ago. <laughs> um, I think I think any company, if they are truly trying to build strong foundations from the start, uh, as soon as you're making maybe your first double digit hire, hire number 10, start thinking about this initial team of 10 might not get me to my team of 50. So let's start let's start honing in on people's strengths. Yep. identifying yep. gaps yep. and then you can actually for higher number 
13, you can either fill some gaps or dedicate some money to learning and development for your current team. All right. So it's interesting. So what I'm hearing you say in that is early on, mm -hmm. it's important to explicitly go, ah, strength, strength, strength. Here's where we need to develop. Here are our gaps. So it's less of a buffet of um, resource opportunities that you can develop for yourself. Um, but but And so initially it's like, here is where we need to hire. Here's where our team needs. We don't have any of this. We need to get everybody on board. Let's all go do an offsite and learn this skill. But then as you're growing and those bumps maybe are, or the, you know, the dips are a little bit less because you're, you have more people, maybe then you have this like, Hey, here's these opportunities. And it's the manager's job to go, ah, in my team, it's this. And I might recommend doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Or as a leader of a company, look around and see who's doing something for the first time. First time managers, building a roadmap for the first time, you know, those things like you're going to need to add some structure around them. So yep. pay a little bit extra of attention. Do some debriefs. If you are in an organization that has sprint planning, yep. uh, no matter the size, a great thing to do is at the end of your sprint, do a debrief with two people you worked closely with. Ask them, where's, some, where's an area that I really shine in? And where can I focus my growth and development? So you should get like a quick six-week snapshot on what's going well and what's not going so well. Ask it again after the next sprint. Keep doing that. Find your themes. Mm. And, now, and now even small teams will know how they can develop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really on you. I mean, this is what I'm kind of taking away. It's like a company can do, can provide in the car, but it's going to be on you to be, go, okay, how can I learn how to drive this better? And you're got to be responsible. And, and I don't think, you know, I do think there's a, there's a tendency that, I mean, one of the things that I have heard that people are looking for is like, Hey, I want the opportunity to develop where, what is the path here? If I join this organization mm -hmm. and the truth is you have this opportunity, but we're not going to do it for you. We're not going to go, okay, and now don't forget to do X, Y, and Z. You have that responsibility. So um, that feels like a right balance. Of course, you know, caveats all over the place, what kind of company you are, who you're hiring, blah, blah, blah. But um, that's that's interesting. I like that. All right. What, let's, let's shift gears. Tell me about um, a moment that you, um, that you, you would say you failed, but then learned from, and now mm. carry that lesson with you. What was the What was the moment where you're like, "Oh, that was I'm never making that mistake again." I still dream about this moment. Oh, I perfect. I actually feel like I should take this moment to apologize to all of the employees who were impacted by my uh, lifestyle choices. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, no. So one of, um, I feel like I should maybe leave out the company name. Okay. If you were there, you'll recognize this story. Uh, we were doing a full compensation, uh, reset, you know, really building out a philosophy, picking out our, the percentile that we were going to target, developing the bands, thinking about geographic differentials, the whole kit and caboodle. And on paper, I, I will say I developed a pretty great comp philosophy with pretty great band. Like 
on paper, oh, ah, what a great place to be. And then I rolled it out uh, in a super casual year where there was nothing like, you know, pandemic or social justice things happening. And I rolled it out really, really quickly. And mm. it, to, I still think, I still think it was the right program and right philosophy. But man, my communication tactics caused a lot of heartache and a lot of confusion. And like <laughs> the thing that I came away from it, and it's helped me in my career tremendously, people don't give a shit about your people programs until the day it affects them. So it doesn't matter how much socialization you've done, how many times you've shared documents for review or questions, like you really got to get in there and get those champions in your rough draft stages. And instead of asking, you got any questions? Start asking things like, what are you scared to say to your employees about this change? What gives you uncomfortable feelings? Because if we can get all of that out of the way and addressed, when we start to roll it out, it's less heartache. And like, man, I it still weighs on me, the heartache mm. that I caused folks with good intentions, but it was too fast. The, you did it, it too fast. fast without enough input. It was too fast. I knew this playbook. I knew what we were doing. You guys don't really care. No, you absolutely care about your salary. I'm so sorry. Yeah, right. Interesting. All right. Yeah. And if you'd so if you did it again, how would that rollout go? Which teach me what because I'm also mm. very impatient, right? I have the answer. Let me give it to you. Like, let's just do it. It'll make everything better. What, what would you, how would you do it differently? Yeah. So one, I had, I, I have now realized I set my own deadlines and sometimes they're a little aggressive. So it's okay to say, Hey, everyone, I messed up. This isn't ready. If we do it now, it's not going to be great. I apologize, but let's push it back and here's some updates you can expect. So that was like, <laughs> duh. Um, but now I start, let's take compensation. I start these compensation conversations well before I even announce that I'm doing a program. And it's, hey, what do you love about comp? What do you hate about it? What questions do you have? Mm -hmm. um, and then again, before it's announced that we're even going to start thinking about working on this, I'm going around to folks and like, hey, let me soundboard some ideas and, and tell me your reaction. Tell me your feelings. So I'm getting those emotional reactions prepared early and I can start to, uh, you know, prevent them. Um, from there, what I really started to do is as I ask employees about the program, the details, as I say, hey, what's scary about this? What should we change? I start taking snippets of what they said and incorporating it into the FAQs, into the structure of the mm. program. Mm. Because then like one, it shows we're listening and we act, we do want to build this program for you. But two, employees can start seeing themselves in it. And they're like, oh, sweet. Um, and not every decision is popular, hashtag HR. Uh, but if we can give more visibility into the dis the reasons behind the decisions and show that map and show the mm. trade-offs. Hey, mm. we picked worse benefits so we could give you more cash compensation. Might not be popular, but it's true. And at least people know. Yeah. So the building of the program is part of the rollout of the program. Yeah. I'm taking tours of that construction site like yep. so early, yep. you know? Yep. Yep. 
Wow. Amazing. Uh, Kim Minnick, thank you so much for giving us your time and energy talking about the future and what it looks like when the rubber meets the road. I hope that we can uh, do this again, maybe in a year and kind of take some take a take a measure of what we've said and maybe, you know, predict a yeah. little bit more into the future. Let's uh, meet this time next year. We'll talk about AI distributed work, and we'll set new predictions. Amazing. Um, Kim, uh, you can find Kim on LinkedIn. Uh, she is at uh, LinkedIn slash in slash K-I-M-M-I-N-N-I-C-K. Um, she's here for all your people ops questions, startup or otherwise. Uh, Kim, thanks for coming on Great Mondays Radio. It was awesome to talk about the future with you. Josh, thank you so much. Have a great Monday. <laughs> thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to radio.greatmondays.com. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays, and you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.